The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis, and there's no Kieran Yates. He's been felled by illness, unfortunately. But uh, but also this week we have Simon Green, otherwise known as Bonobo. He's speaking to Kieran, and Pastels frontman Stephen McRobbie gives us the band's top five tracks, plus tracks from Lord, Schoolboy Q, and Toy with Natasha Khan in Singles Club. That's all here on Music Weekly from the Guardian. Paul Lester. Hello. Gatekeeper of New Band of the Day. Yeah, The empire column. that is New Band of the Day. Great column. Um, <laughs> has joined us. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Excellent, excellent. What news? What's in the news? Somebody from Mumford. Has yes. A, a, a brain blood clot. A blood clot. Yeah, I think Sounds he's recovering. Nasty. Yeah, really. 28 years old. I mean, it's really scary. Jesus, that's not Yeah, but you need you to be playing Glastonbury in about five minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So they might pull out. Well, no word that they are. Apparently, it's all going to be business as usual. So, really? Yeah. Troopers, what, that's what, what we like to see. Yes. What else has been going on in the world of news? News. news. I, all I know is what's happening in my world. This has been a week in which I've written about everybody from Barbra Streisand to Black Sabbath. Wow. What? So, what, what good what, How come? Was this some oh, sort well, of I went to review the Barbra Streisand for the Jewish Chronicle. How was as, that? As you do. It was enough of the family already. She brought on her sister. She brought on her son. She brought really? on... Yeah, there was a trumpeter who was... I think the word oleagonous sprang to mind. When I saw her, she brought on... Um, it wasn't Il Devo. But they were like Il Devo. Right, okay. Well, that's... Um, you don't Italian, anything... by, by Il Devo, I mean the Italian opera singer rather than Devo. It wasn't... Devo would have been great, yeah. Although, there, wasn't there a house, or was it a techno track that was called Barbra Streisand, released about three years ago? Yes, That became yes. a, a, a viral um, hit. Yes, it is. Uh, yes, and people did it on the X Factor, I think. Didn't I think they, they did. Didn't... What was that duo on the X Factor called? Um, J- uh, Jedward? No, 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 no. It was too... Oh, it doesn't matter anyway. But they do. Um, well, funnily enough, Barbara Streisand pumped it all over the venue in the intermission. Did she? I don't know if this was an act of kind of uh, wow. self homage or she was being a kind of double bluff ironic or, or she just generally liked the fact there was a song with her name wow. repeated 17 okay, well, times. Okay, well, that's interesting. She was playing the O2. That's what I saw her. She played the O2 over two yeah. nights. It was an extraordinary uh, outpouring of devotion. It was. Um, no, it was, when I, it was when I saw it. It, was, it is um, amazing because she is the last surviving member of that entire generation. Her and Liza Minnelli, I suppose. Liza Minnelli, yeah, it is. It's tail end of Golden Era, isn't it? It is tail end of Golden Era. And, and but I suppose she's more because she was in things like Funny Girl and stuff like that, so therefore, this yeah. is good. It's all the, all the hot new music news. What what yeah. musicals was Barbra Streisand in 50 years ago? That's that's what the kids want to know about. I did interview somebody last week actually at Ed's Diner in Euston Station who is like the young Streisand. How about Who's that? Who's that? Um, you've got me now. Ariana and the Rose. She no. looks like Lady Gaga before she dyed her hair. Right. She went to Tish, which was, was the same drama college that uh, Lady Gaga went to. Oh, okay, and she okay. looks like that. She's got that Italian-American look. That okay. you, 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 you and she know, sounds like Barbara Streisand? She's got a Streisand-esque timbre to her voice. Is the music like? No, no. it's not. But the thing is, if... Because the problem with young people these days, they, they always the try and replicate these days, it. They, they always try and replicate the old version. Indeed. And of course, if you were doing it now, it was, people say this about the Beatles, if the Beatles formed in 2013, they'd sound like Kraftwerk or, or the yeah, 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 Apex yeah. Twin produced by Timberland. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't sound like four Mersey beaters. And, and, and the same goes for Barbara Streisand. If she was new today, she wouldn't be uh, a chanteuse. She'd be doing something kind of weird and straight. And, and this girl is... Like uh, what you imagine Streisand might do if she came out of the Bronx in, in 2013. Amazing. That sounds really good. You've made it sound... This, is, this sound, is why you it's do... better than it was. I mean, it's not quite that good. What? Well, it's not... I'm, I'm kind of hyping it up into something glamorous and This is why you do New Band of the Day, because you're good at this stuff, Paul. This is uh, it's amazing. Okay, so, before she was followed by the Lurgy, uh, Kieran went off to talk to Ninja Tunes artiste Bonobo. 
uh, about his forthcoming album North Borders and a whole host of other stuff. Let's have a listen to it. My name's Simon Green. I make music as Bonobo. in the sense that you've had opportunity to exercise all of those di- or kind of lots of different avenues. I mean, I've seen you perform with a live band, I've seen your, your DJ sets, your boiler room set was one of my favourite ones. I think there's lots of opportunity for you to do different things within that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been very conscious to sort of... You know, I, I've been very conscious to sort of move away from, from what, uh, what I'm sort of perceived as being, I guess... Um, not not in a, in a hugely conscious way, but just but just sort of, you know, not having to sort of conform to the ex- expectations of what a bonobo record is supposed to be, mm-hmm. um, and not really. So I never really let that worry me so much. So yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's been a, it's been like almost thirteen years since the first record, and everyone's tastes develop and, and change, and I think you know, mine have, have gone in a certain way and I'm not going to make the same record that I made 10 years ago. You know, there's always a contingent that sort of we're, we're into that certain sound and they, their taste possibly went off in a different direction and mine went off in another one. So, you know, there's always a contingent that just want to make that first record over and over again. But it's, you know, it would be so, so, such a sort of stagnant move to do that. You know what, there's, there's, this, there's, there's this naivety when you make your first record that I think has a sort of certain amount of charm and you don't really know what you're doing. And I think it's possibly trying to sustain that. The most interesting thing is trying to sort of consistently move out of your comfort zone into, into sort of new areas and try things you don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in that sort of naivety of trying to sort of emulate certain sounds that that's when, that's when things become really interesting. So I think I'm just sort of trying to sort of keep hold of that idea of always being fascinated by something and, and trying to understand it and I think that's where the most interesting ideas happen we don't need no truth I think that you do do really well that is seen on the North Borders is that you use existing tropes that you've used before, like having these very soulful voices like Erica Badu and Andrea Triana. I mean, it's a formula that works, isn't it? But if you want to move away from that, how do you? I think vocals are not necessarily a sort of, you know, vocals are, are not something that should be tied to a specific sound. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very, it's a very immediate instrument. And the way I've always used vocals is to, is, is not necessarily songwriting as such um, or rather just kind of using them as another lead texture mm-hmm. which is kind of what I've always done if you listen to like you know tunes like Eyes Down mm-hmm. it's only really one line just repeated a few times during the during the track so it's not sort of you know it's not like a verse chorus format of a song so it I doesn't just, overpower your production which, I, which is what I like about it 
Yeah, and that's what I try to do. I try and leave a lot of space. Mm. I'm not sort of going into sort of first bridge chorus structures. I, I'm sort of using the you know using the vocal as a very subtle texture. Mm -hmm. um, what is that process then? Do you have people come into the studio and and they sing for you, and do you kind of move through various lyrics and <clears throat> or is it a minute or is it completely improvised or? The recorded vocals, yeah. I mean, I kind of have the track to a point where it's kind of 80% there. And I leave space for, for, for vocal ideas, you know, I'll send the tracks. In terms of uh, the case of like Erica, I sent her the track and she sent back about 100 ideas for it. I then went in and, and chopped stuff around and one of the sort of the main, the main sort of like hooks of that um, is some really sort of heavily edited sampling when I've kind of repitched and chopped mm -hmm. bits from various kind of ad-libs. Um, and it's just kind of tied together with the sort of very kind of deep narrative of looking for forgiveness or somehow, which I kind of like, you know, I really like that as a theme. Yeah, and it's the same with, uh, you know, the same with the Jardine song. So I was, um, you know, the, the original idea she had, because she hadn't written anything for a little while, so I think when, she, when I gave her this track, she really, she really went to town on it and it was, it was a really big vocal. So I had to kind of go back and, and, and kind of suggest something more minimal. Mm. You know, sort of let's have like 50% of what, you know, 50% of this vocal, just to give it that space, you know, because it has to be sort of phrases rather than sort of a, a huge kind of, a huge narrative. Do you think you've got better at that skill of giving that kind of feedback as, as you've kind of gone on or as you've grown up? Yeah, it's kind of tough because, I mean, vocals are very, you know, songwriting is a very personal thing. Mm. And I think it's very kind of, I'm looking at it from a different perspective. I was fine with, with, with vocalists that they're very focused on the, on the lyric and the meaning and, and what this song is about and the story they're trying to tell. So when I'm sort of approaching it in a more sort of rhythmical and, and spatial kind of way, um, you know, and I'll suggest edits, but then they'll be, well, well this doesn't make sense anymore. Like, the, mm -hmm. you know, the story is not, what it used to be so they have to change lyrics and you know the sound of that lyric was what was great about it but now it has to be changed because it doesn't make sense as a story so it's a very different sort of way of, of approaching because I'm not putting as much emphasis on the lyrics I was also very struck by your kind of development as an art as an artist of I think maybe being quite niche and then sort of moving through doing festival circuits and then kind of becoming, you know, more and more popular and then getting to a point where you're being, your music's being played on Lost and the adverts and, and TV. I mean, is that strange for you? How do you consider yourself as an artist? I mean, I, it's hard to have perspective on it myself when it happens, but I mean, when I made the first record, there was, there was a couple of big licenses. There's one for this remix of uh, Pelot, yeah. Turtle, which was kind of everywhere. Um, I didn't get a penny for it, but <laughs> but it was kind of uh, it was just back in the days when you know we didn't really know. I was just kind of living in a little flat in Brighton, and I didn't you know I was like in my kind of late teens or early twenties. I didn't really know anything about anything. And, you know, I did this remix, and it was suddenly kind of omnipresent.
you know, it, it was kind of mad, mad to me to hear to hear something that I'd made in the corner of my bedroom on a sort of budget sampler at four in the morning to be kind of on these kind of like glossy looking TV commercials mm. and trailers and all this other stuff. You know, I'd go to sort of see, I'd go and see a film, you know, and I'd hear this, I'd hear one of my tracks being played in a film trailer and it was the kind of, it was the craziest thing ever because it, it felt sort of so out of place and because it was so lo-fi the way I made it, you mm. know, I didn't even have, I couldn't even afford to have heating in this house and here it is on this sort of, <laughs> You know, there's these kind of like flashy car commercials all of a sudden. But also it's great because it kind of widens and diversifies your audience so much Um, and kind of fans that felt like they had ownership over what might have been a niche sound is is now completely opened up. Yeah, 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 it's true. I mean, I think that, I think it's sort of a few waves of, of, you know, the genre has kind of crashed and and risen a few times since Mm. then, you know, and I think that... There's that first wave of, of um, I hate to say it, but chill out, which is what the thing that I was initially kind of lumped in with. Um, and there was all of these compilations, hundreds of them. And that kind of, you know, as much as it kind of brought exposure, it also solidified this, this kind of idea of genre. And this is where I belong as an artist within this kind of pile of chill out nonsense. Which was something that, that you know I've been trying to sort of shed for, for years, um, but some people still can't get over it, and some people won't accept that that's something that I wasn't even kind of <laughs> <laughs> certain sort of corners of the media will, will, will won't get over that. They refuse to sort of let that let that one go, um, and you know they have sort of no interest in in, in listening beyond 2003. Yeah, well, I guess your music becomes so steeped in nostalgia. Yeah. That will introduce you as a chill out act when this runs, I hope you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Even if, I, it, honestly, if I made like a neo hardcore record right now, people would still call it chill out. <laughs> That was Kieran talking to Bonobo. North Borders is out now on Ninja Tune. It's time for Singles Club. Paul, let's listen to your trap first. And my boys trip me up with their heads again, loving them. Everything's cool when we're all in line for the throne. But I know it's not forever. Maybe be the class clown. I'll be the beauty queen in tears. It's a new iPhone showing people out new each year. We're so happy. Even when we're smiling out of fear Let's go down to the tennis court And talk it up like yeah uh, that's Tennis Court by Lord. Um, that's your choice, Paul. Uh, tell us tell us about it. Lord or Lordy is Ella Yelich O'Connor, a 16-year-old from New Zealand, suggesting that she is actually the spawn of uh, Irish and uh, Jewish parentage. I was say, Don't yeah. know. I need to look into that because I could then uh, do a, a subsidiary piece for the Jewish Chronicle. I'm, I'm glad you're working the the, uh, the 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 sort of Judaism angle it's into the, a lot of this stuff, Paul. It's, it's very good. I, I write for a lot of people, but that's the only one that anyone ever reads or comes up to me and says, "God, I read your piece of the JC." Marvel. Really? Yeah, you've. Your career's coming on a pace. Why is it? It's got a, kind of a lot of reach. Well, in my family it has. Oh, right, it's right, the only right, one with right, any right, kudos right. whatsoever in my family. Oh, okay, that's yeah. amazing. A sure sign that I've I've achieved lots. <laughs> anyway, she's from Takapuna in New Zealand. And the thing is, I do this column, New Band of the Day, and I get 
600 new acts every month and probably 80% of them are young women uh, trying to grab some of the action achieved by the likes of Lana Del Rey and Adele. What are the paradigms? Lana Del Rey, Lily Allen and Adele. So okay. quirky female, soulful female and uh, femme fatale female. So, 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 so when you say you get 600 uh, things uh, a, a month. month, these are what, unsolicited demos effectively? I get demo. I get a lot of links. Right. Uh, but I mean, these are largely sent by the artists or PRs or what? I, get a, I mean, now I'm on, you know, I get quite a, a few via Twitter. They're, okay. they're links via Twitter. They're, some of them are unsigned. Some of them are signed and want some writing action. Mm. Um, some of them are on, uh, you know, probably an EP has been released, but they're new. Effectively, okay, right, new. okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. And, and then, you say 80% of them are, are, are oh, women. just a phenomenal... And they're all very good. Because mm, the thing okay. is, you, you ha- you'd have to be pretty dim after 70 years of music, rock and roll, to not be able to put together a halfway decent track, given the, the accessibility of the equipment and, and, uh, and also the, the, sort of the ubiquitousness of uh, the attention to the voice that I is prevalent so, yeah. today. Yeah. You know? okay, so fair given all of that, you approach the mic, you've got the gear there, you, you, and you do a pretty good job. And then you send them to Paul Lester, and you think, well, can you write about me, please, uh, uh, for the Garden New Band of the Day? And a lot of the time I do. And I always feel duty-bound to make some kind of commercial judgment about their sort of impending fortune or otherwise. Mm, mm. Uh, and they all seem like they could actually do the biz. I'm kind of going in a roundabout way. I'm sort of still on the fence about this Lordy or Lord character. I thought it was good. I mean, I, do, I take the point uh, about uh, the Lana Del Rey. Uh, sort of aspect. It seems a bit more uppy and is, less more stagey, maybe, yeah. than Lana Del Rey. Yeah, um, it is. What, so what do we know about Lordy? Lord, well, she's Lordy. 16. I think that's probably a, a, a quite an interesting point because I'm, I'm immediately thinking of Sky Ferreira here because mm-hmm. she's young, she's bloggy, and... I, it could be a case of projecting. I did tend to do that quite a lot. I'm projecting a lot onto this girl. I'm, I'm hearing the lyrics. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at the title, Tennis Court, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm imagining her as a class-conscious, sort of 16-year-old Elvis Costello-alike in kind of uh, the 21st century equivalent of what uh, his specs and suit and angry young man uh, wow, okay. Uh, outfit. Wow, okay. uh, Making kind of uh, cutting uh, comments about, uh, you know, uh, the, the middle to upper classes and bit like a, a musical version of, of Heather's. Okay. This, this is this is what I foresee for her, and I, don't, I can't quite imagine that crossing over commercially. But I like the idea of it. This mm. is what I want her to be, and I don't I don't know if she is that. But you know, if you're listening to that track and some of her other, she's even got a track called Royals. I'm kind of joining the dots okay, here a little that bit. That could be about cigarettes. Yeah. Well, I, 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 you know, and she's got a Larry Clark inspired video. It all points oh, right. towards okay, okay. her being yes, no, I see somebody commenting on the teen milieu, which she is obviously immersed in yeah but kind of there's a slight detachment there that's really interesting so this is so, so what she has uh, what are these young people have now myspace page she's it? got uh, myspace page. she's already had a number one in in the itunes chart in new zealand and australia really? yeah she's already big down under she's had half a million streams on soundcloud of one of her tracks her you uh, the larry clark inspired video that i mentioned to you just before it's had three quarters of a million. YouTube Is that for this track? That the, uh, the, I think that was either for this track or for Royals, the predis, the preceding track. There has okay. been an EP down under that this is taken from. Grimes and Sky Ferreira have tweeted uh, about her. Uh, you know, she's she's going to be the next person that gets a lot of attention whether that converts into you know genuine uh, sales at the cash tills well so. she's got another track that, that 
name checks a lot of designer brands. I think there's a, okay. a mention for, of a Maybach. And yeah, maybe she does kind of live in that world down mm. under. Maybe she comes from, her mother's a poet, and, and maybe they live in that kind of bohemian arty, but what fairly would be, wealthy What would be amazing world. is if she was like the opposite of Lana Del Rey, and she was actually properly from the hood, <laughs> and was sort of pretending right. to be posh, rather than, pretend, rather than a posh person pretending to be uh, uh, from the hood. Yeah, well, I just... An angle who is always good, isn't it? Always it is. like the, a, a character that is easily definable. Yeah. So um, that's Lordy Tennis Court um, out soon. We think on Virgin Records, but doubtless you can find it if you uh, go on the internet. Right, we'll move on to the absent. Kieran's choice. This your favorite song. Translation. When I keep my me, I see cool law. Don't get a cool and me, where for see poppin' more. Yes, it's better to pass it, put up in there. Oh, LP check, have run. Let's get it nice like this. I'm a night like this. Sword in my hand, I fight like this. And I'm more than a man, I'm a god. Bitch, to stay on guard. Two pay trap and a two just pop out of that tank top and bra. And when I say do, 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 bitch, that BK does. She wants some more of this. I give her more of this. I owe this. In fact, I know she missed the way I floored this. I'm focused. I know my Houston partners drop a four of this. Okay, that is Collard Greens by Schoolboy Q featuring Kendrick Lamar. Schoolboy Q is a member of the uh, LA's Black Hippie Collective, uh, alongside Kendrick Lamar and Jay Rock. Um, He had a track out last year, There You Go, which seemed to sort of put him on the map a little bit. He seems to be sort of viewed as a kind of of more, less conventional take on Kendrick Lamar. Maybe, you know, and there seems to be some sort of sense that he might overtake Kendrick Lamar in popularity. He's a very charismatic kind of character. That is a track from a forthcoming album called Oxymoron. Paul? Yeah, I'm struggling. <clears throat> I struggle with Schoolboy school Q and Kendrick Lamar. I really like the Kendrick Lamar good kid mad yes, city like musically. Uh, mm-hmm. Not quite sure of his POV. This always concerns me. You know, mm-hmm. what is the character and what is the character trying to say? Right. Uh, I'm loving the last two years of, uh, of, of rap music. Um, I thought it was quite pertinent. that I think Simon Reynolds sounded the death knell for rap in 2010 and then 2010, 11 and uh, probably to 12 became... I think a latter-day golden age for the I think music. I think things need to get. Sometimes things need to get really bad before they get really good again. Uh, and I think that's exactly what happened. So you know, with Odd Future and, mm-hmm. and then just Earl, Tyler the Creator, Sid, Mellow Hype, and Frank Ocean from that particular collective, then Danny Brown and ASAP Rocky and and Kendrick and Death Grips, completely different, of course. Mm. And all of these people have gone together to to create a, a sense of a of, of a new golden age. And I'm loving the music. And I like Kendrick Lamar a lot. And I really like the album. I love the way it sounded. But not sure. Uh, pretty much kind of what I was saying about Lord or Lordy is he critique, critiquing the milieu which he grew up in and that he's obviously a part of or mm. uh, is it just a straight series of observations but I'm loving the music and School School by Q again if you read up about him he does come from uh, you know, there's been some gang banging in his past there's been some bad behaviour there's right. been some illicit activities so there's a sense of authenticity there but why Black Hippie is this a, a latter day version of Native Tongues yeah I was going to say it's, it sounds a bit Daisy Age yeah it is but you know, but I, but I'm not quite sure whether they've clarified that in the music they're making. It doesn't doesn't follow through. I think it's a nice posture to to, to make. I don't, mm. I don't know what it means. I don't know what they're trying to say. Um, but with, with regard to that track, I like the music. I like the sounds. If you take away the rapping, you know, you're left with music that could easily be from an indie electronic record, which mm-hmm. you know I think is the case for a lot of uh, contemporary hip hop. And um, the only question remains, you know, what what are they saying? I found his flow a bit annoying. Oh, you found the flow? All right, okay. Yeah, I just that sort of. I, don't I worry. I, you know, I, I worry about the word flow. To me, the concern about flow is like a a, a, a version of about 
of the anxiety people have about the good voice. I don't really care about flow. I, I'm but if it sounds annoying, I don't even mind if it's annoying. I mean, don't you? Danny, Danny Brown's flow in inverted commas is, is so sort of jerky, staccato, surreal, and gashy, and strange, and rough. Okay, it's okay. The, the word flow kind of doesn't even work in that context. No, no, no. I guess just I just meant that the the the, the sonnet on that track, the uh, sonic qualities of his uh, of his vocal vocal performance do not appeal to me. Huge chorus. Huge chorus. But I don't want to. I don't flow. I mean, no, I, I, I know what you mean. I'm always very much um, against that sort of thing of talking about, you know, someone spitting rhymes or whatever. I know. It's, it's like I'm not, I, I would never say that in my days. It's, okay, it's not the kind of phrase you would use. No, hey, he's spitting rhymes. But anyway, but, um, this is this is all this is all uh, this is all by, by the by. By the by. Um, so okay, um, Schoolboy Q Collard Greens featuring Kendrick Lamar, uh, which was Kieran's choice for this week. That is around and about on the internet. Uh, there's a forthcoming album called Oxymoron. Let's move on to my choice. That's The Bride, a collaborative single uh, by Toy with Natasha Khan of Bat Flashes on vocals. Um, that's come out. There's a label been set up by uh, the producer Dan Carey's with all sorts of um, well-known people. And the ethos of the label is that everything on it is recorded. I think it's recorded and mixed. I think it's recorded in a day and then mixed in a day. And no one's allowed to go for lunch. <laughs> so you just work straight through. They sort of knock something out speedily, which is an interesting kind of way of going about it. Uh, and they try and put sort of uh, strange collaborations together. Steve Mason, uh, formerly the Beat Band, has done a track for them with Emiliana Torini, I think, um, in the past. They were only released them in limited editions of, I think, 507 inches. And that is Toy, the uh, the sort of... We've had them on the pod, in fact, um, the sort of psych band vaguely linked to the horrors and Natasha Khan from Backflash and Vocals I thought that collaboration worked really really well I thought it sort of brought out a side I quite liked hearing Natasha Khan's voice set off against that much rougher so her records are very lush mm. um, and in, perhaps increasingly so and I quite liked that slightly demented edge to a voice of demented quality that it took on bit, you know being put over this uh, obviously not obviously rushed, but there's quite, you know, quite rough and ready, sort of um, vaguely gothy psych rock. Um, I thought that all worked really well. I thought it was a really interesting idea trying to fling people together that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, imagine playing together. I think recording things really quickly is an interesting idea. Mm. I don't know if they've got to come up with a song. The song is actually a cover, I believe, of a, an Iranian Iranian psych, psych musician, track. Amir yeah. Rasai, a um, Kanom, reimagined as the bride. Wow, um, he, 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 it's it's um, psychedelic uh, music from pre-revolutionary Iran. Quite intriguing, I thought. Paul? Yeah, I, I wrote a piece for The Guardian actually a couple of weeks ago about the summer of disco, but it could quite easily have been a, a piece about the summer of psychedelia because there's a lot of, a lot it, of about, it about, isn't there? Um, a lot of it about. 
toy and temples and uh, I could list seven hookworms yeah, yeah, hookworms and I think one of the original psychedelic bands Kaleidoscope are coming back this summer are they really which will excite people man that, I, love, uh, I love Kaleidoscope yeah there you go yeah, that's the, the reaction I was expecting Excellent. from an aficionado of the genre um, and you can hear psychedelia obviously there as well as as you say goth um, goth and psych- they make um, obvious bedfellows don't they don't know why Susan, well that's Susan the Banshees Susan the, the Banshees Cure, you know lots of those bands are straddled sort of boundary between goth and psych which is weird because psychedelia on the one hand you think of it as bright and optimistic of course it always had an undertow of menace that goth manages to to draw out Uh, so that is gothidelic in in, (laughs) in every soft there must, be a, there must be a way of conflating these terms that's more successful than that. Yeah, and it is very Susie, isn't it? It is a Kiss in the Dream House revisited. Mm. That's now 31 years old. Do they wow. take Kiss in the Dream House to the next level? Though? That's, the, that's the question I would ask. Is it to Mike Hedges' production nth uh, removed? I don't quite think it's that. Okay. And in fact, I use the phrase predictable in its exotic intensity, striving to convey the exotic intent. That's the, that's the wow. one sentence I've written down. Excellent. And it just feels a little bit like... It, it, it's, she's joining the dots, going by the by numbers, and it feels quite rote in its a bit attempt. contrived. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, okay. and I've always had that problem with Natasha Khan. Really, I've never been. Even though the whole genre is, is predicated on the on the mannered mm-hmm. and the theatrical and the, and the strategic, it does. It feels a little bit pre-planned. Interesting. Her, her okay. Intensity. I don't. I don't believe it. I know it sounds okay. like sort of a terrible Channel Four director. I don't believe you. I don't believe <laughs> your pain. I feel a bit like that when I when I watch her perform. Um, okay, well, look, Toy and Natasha Khan, The Bride, is available now, certainly, to order. Check it out. You can find the uh, the requisite. You can find it. It's on SoundCloud. I think it's been on Pitchfork's website as well. Um, check it out online. And that's Singles Club. Nice like this, I'm a knight like this. Sword in my hand, I fight like this. And I'm more than a man, I'm a god. Bitch to say on god. Okay, careers in indie music seldom come as long-lived as that of the Pastels. Um, they've got a new album out. Um, Slow Summits, which I think this year marks their 31st year in the business of uh, business of show. Stephen McRobbie, better known as Stephen Pastel, came in to talk me through the band's history via what he thinks are their five key tracks. The first track that you picked uh, is Baby Honey. It was at the time when Creation had started to release 12 inch singles right. and we, we, we put Baby Honey across one side, it was um, with Million Tears. Okay. I think it was the first time we'd recorded in, in London. I, I remember it was very kind of rough and ready and hurried, but um, yeah, Brian, who was the guitar player, and ha- just had this kind of really nice kind of guitar riff and we, were, we just kind of jammed it out, it was really good. I think what's interesting about that song is it's probably the first time the Pastels as a band strike out against the perceived notion of what the Pastels as a band are. Because it's this kind of, as you say, it's this jammed out, kind of quite droney, quite psychedelic, quite sexy sort of record. And, and even by then you had a kind of reputation as, you know what I mean, this sort of uh, post-Orange Juice or the next stage on from Orange Juice, sort of shambolic twee, all, all those kind of adjectives that people used to associate with the past. We hated that kind of language and <laughs> um, 
when we started the group, there was in in Glasgow, there was this kind of um, sophistication of, of people chasing a, a steely steely Dan snare sound, and, and we we wanted to be the opposite of that, and um, we were also extremely rudimentary as musicians. Our zeroing out was um, playing as we could, which was really in, in quite an amateur, childlike way. Mm. But then we always saw that as a starting point, and then, you know, so we, we were hoping to change quickly as we became slightly more proficient. Let's move on. The second track you've chosen is uh, Nothing To Be Done. It's the opening track from Sitting Pretty, which yes. is your second album from 1989? Yes, yes. In some respects, I think that was the pinnacle of the first lineup of, of the group just seemed to all come together there and um, I think as a group we were we were moving towards something and had nearly got there and song and singles like crawl babies and coming through and then nothing to be done uh, we were we were quite pleased with mm-hmm. I don't quite know why but we, we just couldn't we didn't seem able to move on from there in the way that you know groups like my bloody Valentine were really becoming much more interesting and um, we, we seem to hit some kind of brick wall. And You say you were sort of working towards something and this was as close, that line-up of the band with Brian and people and it was, was working towards something, this was as close as you got to it. What, how would you define what you were working towards? We wanted it to have a kind of controlled wildness but also a kind of pop elements and just um, interesting lyrics and... Um, Many of the things that, that, that we, we really liked, but without, um, you know, borrowing someone else's clothes. Mm-hmm. A lot around that time, a lot of the bands that you came up with or that you were associated with kind of took off, you know, in a mainstream commercial sense, like Primal Scream or Teenage Fan Club, who'd obviously been in, knocking around in bands, like the boy hairdressers for ages. Was that ever something that appealed to you, or was that something that seemed antithetical to the pastels? <laughs> we were always quite ambitious. Um, but I think there were never people in, in the pastels that would have been um, as generous as someone like Bobby and tr- trusting his entire musical career <laughs> to, you know, Andrew Weatherall. And um, we were always very kind of, you know, holding on to everything. And, um, and we didn't really understand how to, how to make music like that. And that wasn't really the... The path that that we we wanted, per- particularly, mm-hmm. although you know, I, I do think, you know, I think Screamadelic was a really exciting record. Mm-hmm. We weren't on Creation at the time, and I think Creation just had a good amount of momentum going. And um, you fell out with Creation, didn't you? you fell out quite badly. Yeah, we fell out with Creation every few months, really. <laughs> um, I think I think we'd the uh, record for getting thrown off the label <laughs> the most times. But, um, they would usually have us back if we couldn't find anything else, which was usually the case. <laughs> 
brings us on to your next choice, single from 1995, by which point you are, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the solitary remaining member of the Pastels that played on the first single. I mean, is that something that... Was there something freeing about losing? I mean, not that I'm not trying to get you to badmouth ex-members of the Pastels, but there's something freeing about losing. Yeah, because it, it felt like... Um each of us was was limiting what what we could we could do collectively, mm. and t- to start with a again with a, a different collection of people was, was was something new and probably the, the this lineup of the group it was it was much more like minded. We were all listening to the same kind of music. I mean, Brian Brian really loved things like Johnny Thunders and Robert mm. Quine. He was very in the Velvets. He was really into the New York thing. But he liked soul music too, you know. But um, that kind of playing probably defined the first lineup. Mm-hmm. And then with the the second version, we we probably were just trying to find a sound really. And it was probably you know in our way our voices became you know perhaps the most recognisable yeah. thing of our sound. And mm-hmm. we, we felt we felt freer to tr- to try things. We made um, we made an LP mobile safari for Domino, which which is was kind of rough, but we we liked it. And then one of the songs, Worlds of Possibility, we we decided to um, develop. It was the last track in the record, and we developed it with the, uh, Ian Carmichael from Wondov, who's a really talented engineer. You saying? I mean, you, you talked about the influence of the members that left. What what kind of things were you listening to around this time that that, that shaped what you were doing? I had a terrible period that I was just just listening to Bob Dylan and Neil Young and I started to feel really old <laughs> and um, and uh, I was just kind of worried about myself and then um, and then I started to li- listen to um, I suppose I started to listen to some jazz things like Mingus and Bill Evans and and then I, I was listening to a lot of European soundtracks um Christoph Kameda and Morricone and um, and I just started to suppose my taste became more eclectic. Brings us on to your next choice, which is you did do a soundtrack. Yeah, um, it was just it was good. I confess, to... I've never seen the film by the way. I uh-huh. have no idea. Uh-huh. I didn't actually realise it was a soundtrack until you know after I'd heard long after I'd heard the record. It's, it's quite mad. It, it was it was um, David Mackenzie's first film. He'd made these short films, and he really liked our group. We'd become friends with David, and we'd. You know, he loved things like orange juice and he really liked the pastels and he used music that he thought was a bit like the pastels in his short films and, and we'd said, well, we're not that expensive, you know, and, <laughs> and we'd quite like to have a go. So if you're, if you're, you know, trying to create a kind of pastels vibe, come to us. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So David um, said that, that, you know, he, we could do the music with him and... Um, it was a strange film. It was, it was part th- thriller, part horror, part comedy, and it was one. I think David did quite a clear vision for it. But at the end, a lot of small foot films, the, the the funding shaky. You know, you have to listen to the feedback, and it probably um, got slightly compromised in okay. the end. 
but I think it's got some really good things about it. Brings us on to Kicking Leaves, which is off your new album. Um, it's a beautiful song. Oh, thank oh, it's you. A, it's just gorgeous. Um, th- tell me a little bit about it. Tell me a, bit, a little bit about this album, because it's your first actual proper studio album for 15 years, is that? I think, you know, maybe makes it more dramatic to, to say that, <laughs> but, we, you know, we, we... To be honest, we, we, we had started work on it a, lot, a long time ago, we had some of the songs, like Secret Music, really from, you know, maybe 10 or 11 years ago. And, and, um, and I think Domino were they're very relaxed, but also wondering, you know, if we were going to make another record. And we, we decided that, you know, we, we, we should. The Kicking Leaves, I have to say, um, it was more down to Katrina. Um, she just seems to you know, have a really instinctive way of putting music melody together. It's very simple to do, it's in 3-4, we didn't didn't rehearse it very much, but we, we did um, quite a basic track with it, and then she, she had a very clear vision of a vocal melody. And um, in Glasgow, we, we run a, a film club, and then Craig Armstrong had introduced a film for us, so I'd, I'd come to know him a little bit, and he said, oh, I'd, I'd love to do a string arrangement with the pastels someday, and... We were like, Craig, we, we couldn't afford it, you know, I don't know what kind of budget you think we're on. And um, Craig said, I'll do it. And um, so he, he did this really beautiful kind of quartet arrangement for it. And um, we just left, we left it quite spacey and just, just kind of went for kind of simplicity, just the song really. That was me talking to Stephen McRobbie, Stephen Pastel of the Pastels. The album Slow Summits is out now on Domino. That's it for this week. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for all hands to the deck, all that kind of thing. Thank you for having me. Displaying a bit of Dunkirk spirit. Thank you. Excellent. Go to guardian.co.uk forward slash musicweekly for more info on the show and links to singles, club, tracks. I'll be back next week, hopefully with a fully restored Kieran. See you then. Bye-bye.